0: 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 Paul Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Now if this sounds familiar for any of us that were part of the study of 1 Thessalonians go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and look verse at verse 1 and you're going to see it sounds pretty sim- similar Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. It's pretty similar, isn't it? It's almost identical introduction. And actually, Paul, as in 1 Thessalonians, was the main author here, as internal context shows us. We see here in verse 1-1, Paul puts his name there. And as we looked at before, he puts in Silas and Timothy. Silvanus, by the way, is Silas. We know him as Silas probably more than Silvanus. He puts these two guys in with his letters to, these church, to this church as well, because if you remember from our introductory study of 1 Thessalonians, Paul used Silas and Timothy. They were traveling with him in his helping the church get started in 1 Thessalonians, or the Thessalonian church there, as we saw in 1 Thessalonians. But if you also remember from our study earlier, Paul had to leave Thessalonica because of persecution, And uh, he wasn't there as long as he would have liked to have been there, and he began going to other places. And then the Thessalonians chased him, the unbelieving Thessalonians, chased him into whatever town he went to, until eventually he ended up in Corinth. And while he's in Corinth is when he writes this letter back to, the the first letter, back to the Thessalonians. And it's also while he's in Corinth that he writes the second letter, most likely just a few months after he wrote the first letter. Now, I'm going to get to in just a little bit why he had to write another letter so soon. But we also left, I left off just now, something else that had happened between Paul going there with Silas and Timothy and having the church started and then them being chased out of Thessalonica. If you remember, Paul had sent Timothy back while he was in Corinth to Thessalonica to go check on them. Because Paul wasn't sure if they had made it as a group of believers. He had seen evidence of the Spirit in in them when, when the gospel was shared and it appeared that what was there was real. But then because of the persecution, because of them being separated, and because of the false prophets that were coming in and accusing Paul of things that weren't true, he wasn't sure if the church made it or if the church even liked him anymore. And so he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica and Paul, uh, sorry, Silas probably back to Philippi. Go back with me to Acts chapter 18. Let me kind of catch you up a little bit. Acts chapter 18, look at verses 1 through 5. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, while Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, that's where Thessalonica and Philippi are, Philippi, uh, so is, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Now, so Paul went from Thessalonica to Berea, to other places to Athens and ends up in Corinth and at this point Paul has is revisited or uh, they join back with him Silas and Timothy. Go with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and look at verses 1 and 2 to kind of catch us all back up with what's going on. Paul says to them in his first letter, therefore when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. Now, we see here that when they were in Athens, he sent Timothy back to go check on him. Paul then went on to Corinth, and now Silas and Timothy join him in Corinth. And that's when Paul, as we already saw in 1 Thessalonians, writes and says, I just got word from Timothy that you're doing well, that you think well of us. And it was a letter of an encouragement to them. But now, just about a month or two later, most likely, just no more than three probably, Paul has to write another letter back to this church. Now, we don't know how he got the information that he's going to be dealing with. It could have been from someone that came and visited from there. It could have been from a correspondence. But obviously, some things have happened between his first letter and this second second letter, to the point now that Paul's having to deal with some more questions that the church has, and the fact that there seems to have been a letter, supposedly from them, saying things that weren't true. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 real quick. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. We're not going to go any further than this, because when we get to chapter 2, we're going to begin to really break down the timing of God's plan, the day of the Lord, look at a lot of scriptures that deal with that. But it appears that there was, and you're going to see other things later on in our study, some things that had gotten to Paul in just those few months, and he had to send another letter to deal with these misconceptions, even one especially seeming to be that someone had sent a letter acting like it was from Paul, and it wasn't. All right? Go to chapter 3 real quick and look at verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now, again, we're going to deal with that when we get to chapter 3. But again, he's heard some things. Whether someone came from Thessalonica and reported to Paul, this doesn't appear to be from Timothy's first visit. This is now as things have come to his, or his, his knowledge a little bit later. And that's what Second Thessalonians is going to deal with. And as you if you've ever read the book, you'll see it's just three chapters. It's a very short letter. But in this letter is packed with a lot of end times t- teaching. And it also deals with how to live in these days in the meantime because of misconceptions about the end times. Let me just say this to you. I touched on it a little bit in our prayer at the beginning. But let me just say this to you we all want to figure out the timing of God's return. It's tempting for all of us. As much as a lot of us love to quote, no one knows the day of the hour, and, and no one, you know, even Jesus doesn't know, and all this kind of stuff, every one of us are still going, wow, look what's going on in the world. Look what's going on in Israel. Is this it? Is this the end? I was talking to my brother Jeff, who's here from Thailand, and, and, and we were talking today about the fact that There are a lot of preachers out there today that have been saying, and I used to be one of those people that because of the roars and the rumors of wars and the earthquakes and the different diseases that are happening, we're in the birth pains, and I don't believe that anymore. I believe that the birth pains are very specifically prophesied as the tribulation period for a couple of reasons. One, if the birth pains are just what's going on now, we've been in the birth pains for 2,000 years. Now, you ladies that have had babies... What kind of birth pains are they if they last that long? That's not much of a warning. That's what we used to call Braxton Hicks. They're not real birth pains. At the same time, if you go look at Matthew 24, Jesus says in verse 8, this is just the beginning of the birth pains. And Like he's referring to a very specific set of birth pains that have been prophesied before in the Old Testament. And if you've ever been a part of our studies in Revelation, I show you how very clearly... The tribulation period is described in the Old Testament in more than one place, at least four that I know of, as a time of a woman in labor. We're not in the tribulation period yet. Well, Jim, think about it. I got an article sent to me this week of someone saying, look at this. Look at all the nations that are threatening to be against each other and all the wars that are happening right now. Well, if you were alive in time of World War I, you would have been sure this was a fulfillment of the nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And then World War II, that's got to be it. And So as we move into 2 Thessalonians, let's fight the temptation to try to look at what Paul says and then read your newspaper at the same time and figure things out. Know what the scripture says so that you'll have comfort and peace as things continue to move as God says they will. Yet at the same time, there are other things in here that God has for us as well. And tonight we're going to spend a little bit of time dealing with some of those to get our hearts ready to really jump into eschatology or the study of last things. So let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Now, Paul, again, as in his first letter, encourages and praises them for their growth and their love for each other, even in the midst of much opposition and persecution. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians and go back to chapter 1. Look at verses 2 through 6. and you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word of word in much affliction with the joy of the holy spirit so Paul continues that same encouragement. He starts his second letter to them, very similar to how he started his first letter. And in writing his second letter, his second theme, if you will, is almost just like it was in the first letter, reminding them of the fact that, the fact that they're hanging on in the midst of persecution and affliction is evidence of their salvation. And we're going to deal with that in a little bit more, just a little bit. He also acknowledged that what they had been praying for them actually was being answered by God and God was doing it. Remember, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at a couple of things he prayed for them. To make sure you're tracking with me here, I'm going to give you a little verbal quiz. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So what was he praying for them? That they would what? Abound in what? And increase in what? In love for what? For what? for each other. Go to 1st Thessalonians 4, look at verses 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that it is indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout the Macedonia, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more. So here he had told them, look, we've been praying, we're praying that God would have you increase in love for each other, and we're seeing that you are Yet, we're going to pray that that actually increases even more. Well, Jim, they're in the middle of much persecution, and they're in the middle of much affliction. Um, Don't you think their plates are already full? Don't you think they should be focusing more on themselves and just surviving in this life? That's the enemy's lie. Your natural instinct is to pull away. Your natural instinct is to keep people out. As you go through suffering, a lot of us say, we don't want anybody to know. We don't want to be a burden to anybody. We don't want to tell anybody what we're going through. And you think you're being spiritual, but the Bible actually says that's when you need each other more. The Bible actually says one of the ways that we demonstrate our faith in the book of James is to take care of widows and those who are orphans and ministering to people in need. But if nobody acknowledges that they have a need, when we all have needs, how can people minister to each other and demonstrate the love of Christ? I remember one time years ago being a pastor and visiting this older lady in a nursing home, and she's like 90-something years old, and she said, why am I still here? And you know what? At that moment, I was surprised. The Holy Spirit gave me an answer, because usually I'm like, well, I don't know. But I can't say that. But at that moment, the Holy Spirit allowed me to speak to her and say, because you're a widow, and you are giving people an opportunity to demonstrate that Jesus is in them we didn't have people that are in your situation, we wouldn't have opportunity from the book of James. There weren't orphans and widows and people in need. How could we demonstrate the love of Jesus to those people if they don't exist? Why don't you let God use you to show his love through somebody else and just let God be glorified and let someone earn some reward by blessing you? Because we always think we gotta produce, we gotta produce, we gotta produce. So I want to challenge you. He's prayed for them that they would grow in their love for each other and increase in their love for each other and do this more and more. And look again at 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. He says, "We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one over you for one another is increasing." He also points out that they were such a great example of faith and love that he had been now bragging on them and using them as an example to other churches that he worked with. Look at again at verse 4. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are doing. Paul said you guys not only are loving each other, you're actually holding on and growing in your faith, because we just saw that, your faith is growing abundantly. Their faith is actually growing during this time. By the way, didn't we already study when we did the book of James? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of different kinds, for the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance, endurance, steadfastness. We're going to look at that word endurance a little bit tonight as we close, but we'll get there in a little bit. But let me just say this to you. It's one thing to just hang on during suffering. It's another thing to grow in your faith. God's purposes are not that you would just hang on. God's purposes is that you will grow in your faith during this time. Not that you would just survive the test, but that you would actually come out stronger. That's his desire. And if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, go to 1 Thessalonians 1, look at verses 7-10. through 10. Paul had already bragged on them then as well. He said, you became an example From the wrath to come. Paul had said to them in the first letter, word had already spread. We don't even have to tell people about what God did amongst you because word's already spread. And if you've ever read the book of 2 Corinthians, you'll know that Paul actually used the Macedonian churches as an example of giving. He talked about in chapter 8 and chapter 9, the fact that in their poverty, they not only gave first to the Lord and their tithes to the Lord, they also then gave on top of that, beyond their means, begged for the opportunity to be a part in giving to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. Folks, that's just supernatural. And Paul, now in 2 Thessalonians, continues that same theme. started his letter the similar way he actually continued on about how he's seeing their grow, faith grow, their love for each other grow. And then he says, I'm also seeing your steadfastness and your faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you're enduring. And so we're bragging on you. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. And I don't want you to answer it out loud. Because someone might, on the recording, recognize your voice and know what church you go to. But could your church be bragged about right now? Now, before you get quick to answer, I don't want to hear anybody say in your heart, well, yeah, our numbers are growing. We're we're getting more and more people. That's not a sign of growth. I've had cancer. That grows fast. That didn't mean I was healthy. What does the Bible say real evidence of spiritual growth is? It's not numbers. Although I do believe a healthy church will grow. Unity, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Even in the midst of persecution, a faith that's stronger, a love that increases. I'm not going to ask you again to say it out loud, but could your church be bragged on right now? I have to be honest with you, as in the ministry that I have and I travel around the country and I know a lot of churches and deal with a lot of churches in different parts of the country, I, a lot of times they will have people contact me and say, I've got loved ones who are moving to somewhere in Ohio or somewhere in Arizona or somewhere in New Jersey. And they'll say, do you know of any good churches? And sometimes I can say yes. Other times I'll say I'll have to make a few phone calls, talk to some people up there that I know, And I a lot of times have, when people move into this area, say, where would you recommend we go? Now, I ain't telling you what I tell them. Because I know this Bible study is made up of a lot of different churches. Everybody that's in here is from 10, 12 different churches. But let me tell you, I don't say go to anyone you want. Because there's those that I see these things happening, and I recommend people go there. Now, let's back up again, and let's stop becoming the judge of our church. Let me ask you this question. Could anybody brag about you? Could anybody say, you know what, so-and-so hasn't had it easy? And they just haven't hung on. They're actually growing at this time. I'm seeing them get stronger in their faith. I'm actually seeing them have a heart for people around them. We could all name people that, when the trouble comes, they disappear. They kind of phase out. But let me ask you this question. Could someone but just watching you give God glory for what they see in you? And again, please don't let it be phony because you talk a good game. That's one of the sad things that's happened over the years in the church is we've had enough classes. We've had enough Bible studies. We've had enough discipleship courses. We know how to say the right things. We know how to talk Christianese. Let me ask you this question. When someone that doesn't go to your church watches you out in the world, do they see someone that's obviously different because they seem to have a confidence and a boldness and a faith and a sincerity and a love that doesn't look like everybody else and they want to know where it's coming from? Something kind of cool happened to me today. For years, I've been witnessing to some ladies that manage a Circle K near me. They have a deal where you can, for 10 bucks, get a free Big Gulp every day. And I like my Diet Coke. I did it, I drink a lot of it, I'll admit it. Some of you are gonna send me emails and all this doctor stuff, leave it alone. But let me just say this to you. I do it for a couple of reasons. One, I like it. Two, I promise my wife it's saving her a lot of money. I won't have to be embalmed when I die. I've drank enough Diet (laughs) Coke. But also, it's an opportunity for me every day when I'm in town to go into this store and to love on these ladies who work there. I actually had the privilege of having one of them come to church with me a few weeks ago. She brought her daughter. Her husband passed away Sunday. I haven't seen her since because of all the stuff and I hurt for. her. So while I was in there today, I asked one of the other ladies, do you think, I know you have her cell phone number, do you think she'd let you give me her number so I could reach out to her? She said, give me yours, I'll contact her, and if she said yes, I'll text you her number. I hadn't gotten to my car when she came running out. She already said, yes, here's her number. So I put it in my phone, and then she said, and can I give you mine? That's only God, because all I am is just a guy that comes in every day getting his soda. But hopefully they've seen something else. Something else that makes them say, I'd like my phone number to be in your phone. And Paul, whatever it was, however he had heard, had gotten word of what God was doing in Thessalonica in the midst of much persecution. Don't you think those people that would chase Paul all around to Berea and whatever, once they came back home, didn't just say, well, we're done with the chasing Paul. Don't you think they were going after that church as well, all those people that he had left behind? And in the midst of it, let me, hey, I got to go there. It's not in my notes, but I got to go there. Would we not agree... That our world, and especially maybe our country, is becoming more and more anti-God and anti-Jesus Christ? And we're going to spend most of our time, unfortunately, griping about what used to be. What America used to be. And as we spend all our time griping about what used to be, we sound just like everybody else. Because everybody else, even if they aren't holding on to what used to be, they got their opinions on how things ought to be. Yet, what if in the midst of all this, people don't just hear it in our mouth, but see it in our actions and our lives, that, you know what? My faith is growing during this time. My love for other people is increasing. When there's a tendency to want to stockpile, I just want to bless and give it away. How can I help you? How can I meet a need? How can I... And folks, let me just tell you, in the time that we have left here, because remember, he's going to come take us and take us to be with him, and then those, the birth pains are going to begin. In the time that's left, I am going to pray that what he says about them would be real about us. Not that we would just hang on, but that actually we would grow in our faith at this time and our love for each other. By the way, Jesus himself said in John 13, 35, by all this we'll know, the world will know that you're my disciples. Which is what? By your love for one another. And so I'm going to ask you tonight, ask God to show you how he wants to use you to love the people around you. Again, you, you can't love everybody. Well, we can, but you can't. You know what I'm saying? Just let God show you who it is that he wants to put in your path. Who are your Circle K ladies? Your chick Chick-fil-A, people. Wherever God's got you. Do people know you're his disciple by your love one for another? Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 12. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed... When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed, to this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I said earlier, we're not going to finish all this. And actually, next week when we get together, I'm going to show you that in this little sentence structure here, in this section of sentences, Paul actually goes from talking about how God is demonstrating his power in their lives now and evidence of their salvation, and he starts moving it into The return of Jesus. And I'm going to show you, it's not, I'm not going to show it to you tonight, but I'm going to show you in here that in this sentence structure, there's a transition. He's got a purpose right now. And one day he's going to deal with the world. But right now he's dealing with us. First Peter chapter four, verse 17 says this. It's time for judgment to begin with the household of faith. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of the unrighteous? Those who don't obey God. And so what I want to do in the half an hour we have left is to deal mainly with verse 5. We'll pick up in verses 6 and following next week. Their steadfastness and their faith in the midst of persecution is evidence of their true salvation. Again, he said in verse 4, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions you're enduring. This is, verse 5, evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Go to 1st Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9. The fact that they were continuing in their faith and growing in their faith, 1st Peter chapter 1, we're going to move go to verses 3 through 9 just a second. The fact that they were continuing in their faith and growing in their faith in the midst of persecution was evidence of the fact that they were considered worthy, which is why they were also suffering. Isn't that interesting? They were suffering for the cause of Christ and because they were Christians. Did you know that actually when you sign up to become a Christian, you didn't sign up for the yellow brick road to heaven. You signed up for suffering. The Bible actually says that anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yet the other people out there will say that once you give your life to Christ, if you just live in a certain way and you have enough faith that you believe something that God has to do it, pretty soon you'll be wealthy and you'll be healthy and you won't deal with sickness and you won't worry about bills. And that's false teaching out there, folks. The Bible actually says that God has purposes for our suffering. We've already seen that in our study of James chapter 1. But on top of that, because we're Christians, God is actually putting us through the fire, if you will. He's putting us through the trials to prove our faith genuine. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I'm so glad that I'm not having to live a certain way to keep my salvation. He's holding on to it for me. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now in this we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In other words... You're not living for here, and how you respond in a greater faith in God through the trials is evidence of the fact that you're not living for this life, you're living for the life to come. And if he chooses for his purposes, if necessary, to put you through trials, it's going to prove your faith genuine. Now, according to Jesus' parable in Matthew chapter 13 of the seed that fell on the hard path and the seed that fell on the rocky soil and the seed that fell on the thorny soil and the seed that fell on the good soil, Will there not be those who seem to respond to the gospel, but when persecution comes, they fall away because they really didn't have root or salvation? Or uh, seem to be believers in Christ, yet the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke them because all of a sudden that's more important for them than the life to come. But for those of us, and I'm looking around the room at people that I've known through years and walked through many things with you and you with me, I can look around and say, The only reason some of you are still sitting here is because Jesus is in you and you know he's real. I don't want to embarrass anybody, so I'm not going to name any names, but I could look around and say there's people in here that have plenty of opportunity to have said, he didn't do it for me. He didn't do things the way I thought he would. Where is God? Why would God As I look around the room and see the things that you've gone through, and I see your faith and it's stronger, you're not only an encouragement to me, the Bible says it's an evidence of what He's done in you is real. It's like Jesus when He said in John chapter 6 to His disciples and the people that were listening, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Upon hearing this, many of His disciples said, This is a hard teaching, it doesn't make any sense. Who can understand it? And they stopped following Jesus. Now, Jesus, I love what he does. He doesn't do what we would do today. He turns to the 12 and he doesn't say, hey, guys, how can I soften the message so we don't have what just happened? No, he says, you guys are free to go, too, by the way. Nobody's holding you here. And Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. If he was honest, he'd say, I don't understand half of them. But we know that you're from God. And we know that you're the truth. And we ain't going anywhere. The Bible says this is evidence of your real salvation. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 16. 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 16. Paul says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been equated with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We know that last verse because we've heard it many times throughout our life. But how many of us have ever read it in the full context? It's tied to Paul saying, you've watched my life. It has not been an easy road. Jesus himself called to the masses and said, you better count the cost before you sign on the dotted line to be one of my disciples. Birds of the air have nests. Foxes have holes. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you willing to give up your life to follow me? If you're not able to give up your life, you cannot be my disciple. It's not going to be an easy road, yet we still want it to be an easy road. It's in all of us. I do, too. I still dread the bad news. The phone call you don't want to get. I have a tendency to worry if things are going to go like I want. We're all that way. And daily I have to lay my flesh on the altar and renew my mind that I'm not living from here. I'm not living for this life. I'm living for the one to come. And that's why I need you. That's why you need me. Because there are times when brothers and sisters can come alongside of us and say, I know you word. Let me put my arm around you. Let me give you a hug and let's help. Let's get going. Let's keep doing this together. And can thank God for that. Don't pull away when the trouble comes. Do not grow weary of living in faith in these hard days. We're not going to turn there, but in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul said this, do not grow weary in doing good. Why? Because when? In due season, we will reap. If we don't give up now, I want honesty here. We need this for each other. I wish those of you who are here uh, watching with us online right now uh, could see what I'm about to see. Anybody here besides Jim Johnson having a tendency to get a little weary in these days? We all are. And God says, "Don't grow weary." I've heard a lot of people say, "Well," God will never give you more than you can bear. That's not what the Bible says, folks. The Bible says he won't allow you to be tempted with more than you're able to bear. But according to John 15, verse 5, that apart from him, I can do nothing. Everything's more than I can bear. God's going to give you more than you can bear. It's called life. You're going to get more than you can bear. But apart from him, you're not going to make it. But with him, we can do all things through him who gives us strength. Jesus. God has designed this life for us Christians to need Him. Oh, the world as well. And one of the best ways He can remind us of our need of Him daily and for Him to display His glory through us is suffering, trials, our retirement not going like we thought it would. Uh oh. I was pointing over here and someone got hit over here. (laughs) Go to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to spend a little time encouraging you tonight. You say, Jim, you haven't been much encouraged now. You've just been saying suffering is on on our radar. Well, let me give you some encouragement. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verses 32 through 39. The Hebrew writer is encouraging believers who have gone through persecution. And because of it, they're thinking about walking away from Christianity and back to Judaism. He says, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partnered with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while. And the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Would you not agree that the finish line of God's time for the world is obviously getting close? Yes, Well, then, when you're this close to the finish line, don't fall prey to the temptation to give up. We have need of endurance. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's something we all know, but there are those among us who will fall away because of the difficulty of faith in this life and the constant pull of the world. Jesus said that was going to happen. I'm just going to say to you in love, don't be one of them. Don't be one of them. Do you know even John the Baptist was tempted to fall away? I mean, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, there's what I like to call, I get this from Vance Havner, the forgotten beatitude. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6 said this, Blessed is he who does not fall away on account of me. You're not offended by me in other translations. In other words, Jesus says, Blessed are those who don't quit on account of how I run my world. I get to determine who's in power, and I determine who's not in power. I determine when it's going to rain and when it's not going to rain. I determine whether or not there's going to be a healing or no healing. I determine whether or not your plans are going to work out or not going to work out. I'm actually in control of it all. Now, if you understand my word for you, my heart is for you, and I've already proven that, God says, through sending my son. But at the same time, even in your struggle, even in the trials, even in the suffering, even in the persecution, my purposes are good, and it's going to be for your good. Not going to be fun in the midst of it, but in due time, you will reap if you don't give up. And blessed are those who don't fall away on the fact that I'm God, and you're not. Finish the race. Run the race with perseverance. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some scriptures tonight as we move toward the close of our study to get where we're going to be for tonight and just give you some passages that just talk about endurance, encouragement. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. You just quoted it over here, John. I love when I'm teaching and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit, which is already what my next note is, comes out of his mouth or hers or whoever's. I love it because that lets me know I'm hearing from the Lord, you're hearing from the Lord, and I can shut up. Go to Hebrews 12. Look at verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that was chapter 11, the men and women of faith prior to us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance, perseverance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus make it through in this life? He was tempted in every way. He had a role that he had been given by the Father. He was had to go through suffering. He was tempted. He was tested. He was tried. And it wasn't just in the garden. It wasn't just in the wilderness. It was continually, as Becky's been teaching her, his, her girls in Luke chapter 2, it talks about how Satan came and left him for a more, chapter 4, till a more opportune time. Jesus went through it, but how did he make it through it? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And we need to keep that in mind, folks. God never promised that your 501K or your 401K would give you everything you had hoped. But hopefully your retirement account's not here. Hopefully it's somewhere else. Go to Romans 15. This has become, in these days, one of my absolute favorite Favorite, favorite passages. Romans 15, verses 4 through 7, and then verse 13. Romans 15, verses 4 through 7. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Stop real quick. Remember back in 1 Timothy 3 where Paul talked about how you've seen my example, my suffering, my persecutions, my endurance, my faith. And then he moves into the word of God, is breathed out by God, able to give you everything you need. This is how it's tied together. I could sit here and cheer you on. I could give you the greatest rah-rah message you've ever heard in your life. It won't do you any good. Unless I give you the word of God, because that's the only thing that's able to give you what you need. Whatever was written in the past was written for our endurance and our encouragement. Folks, you can't put on your mirror a little three by five card that you look at in the morning every, every day and say, you're going to be OK. It's going to be OK. No, you need the word of God, because that's what's going to take root in our hearts. That's what's going to change our minds. That's what's going to change us. It's the word of God. It's the power of God. But Oh, I love this next part. Verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Don't miss this. He's the God of what? Of endurance and what? Encouragement. He's not up there saying, well, let's just see how they do. He's the one who is actually putting people in your path to encourage you. He's the one, he's the God of endurance. He gives us the endurance. We have to turn to him and say, Lord, I need strength. He says, yeah, you've needed it all along, but I'm glad you realize it now. And I'm going to give it to you because you turned to the right place. But not only that, he's also going to be giving encouragement. He's going to be using people. He's going to bring them into your path. You're going to get little touches here and there from people you don't even know that may may be used by God. And it's going to be these little things as you believe and you watch and you look. God's going to use them to encourage. And he might even use you sent a text to somebody today. I just, God laid it on my heart, and I just texted him a long text and said, I've been praying for you, and God told me to pray this. Got the text back as I was coming up here tonight, and this is what they said. Thanks. That's exactly what I needed right now. Guess what? I don't get the credit for that. Because it was God who had told me to write to somebody States away from here. And here's what you're to write to him, how you're to pray for him and write it to him. That person said, that's what I needed. God want to use you. He's a God of endurance and encouragement. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Jim, I've never really looked at the book of Hebrews as a book of encouragement. Well, you've never read it. Look at verse 36. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 again. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What's promised? A little while, the coming one will come, and he won't delay. It's all on schedule. The, do- the day's already been set, folks. Now, there's one more thing that we have to pull out of verse 5 before we close tonight. Go back to 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 5. Paul says that our perseverance and continuing in the faith in the midst of an evil world is evidence that we are worthy of the kingdom of God. We've got to stay here for a little bit. There's there's something deep here. When we, in our minds, see someone as worthy, we tend to look at that person and not the one who makes them worthy. Is anybody in here on their own worthy of the kingdom of God? No. But go back to verse five. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're also suffering. We're not worthy because of us. You're not worthy because you've been hanging on. You're not worthy because you've endured. You're only worthy because the one who is in you has made you worthy. And I can prove that to you in our context. Go back down to verse 11. Jump down to 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Why? So he gets the credit so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You all do know that we are to work out our salvation in fear and troubling Philippians chapter two, verse 12. But verse 13 says, for it's God who both works in us, not only to will, that's the desire, but also to act according to his good purpose. Jump over to 2 Thessalonians chapter two, look at verses 16 and 17. Second Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. If you heard this message of encouragement tonight and you said, I'm going to be more loving, I'm going to be more steadfast, I'm going to be more persevering, I'm going to endure, you totally missed the whole point of the lesson. My prayer is that you actually, at the beginning of our study, had gotten to the point, and we all raised our hands, I'm weary. I'm tired. I don't think I can make it. And if I make it, it's going to have to be somebody else making me make it, because I can't do it. And God says, good, that's where you've always been. Now, the word of God has been written in the past to give you endurance. Endurance. And encouragement, so that you may have hope in believing. I told you back in Romans chapter 15 that I was going to read to you verses 4 through 7 and verse 13. Actually, God had me wait until now. Go back to Romans 15. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Hope is a confidence. Hope is a belief. Hope is a surety. Hope is we're going to be all right. I drove down the street today and ran across a sister in Christ I haven't seen in a while. I Pulled up. She was standing in her driveway talking to another lady from her church. And when I rolled my window down, she said, Jim, congratulations. The wedding's this Saturday. And I said, the chaos has begun. Do you know what she said in response? She raised her hands and she said, praise Jesus. He's a good God and he's going to work it all out for his glory. And I thought to myself, she should have the reverend in front of her name. I was the negative Nelly. And she encouraged me with pointing me back to him. Whatever was written in the past was written for our endurance and our encouragement so that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope and may the God of all hope, give you joy and peace in believing. It's going to get bumpy, but we'll be all right. The same God who carried you this far will carry you the rest of the way. And it's not so people can say, boy, he or she, they really have strong faith. It's to the point that people would say they don't have that kind of faith. But it's obvious that God's in them. I'm going to ask you again. Have they heard you talk a good game? But when the rubber hits the road, you sounded like me today when I said, let the chaos begin. Are you focusing more on the chaos? or are they the one who's in control of the chaos? Are you focusing more on the fact that it said earlier today that evil men and imposters will go on deceiving and go from bad to worse? Told you. Or did you hear the fact that in due time we will reap? Even if we don't understand all of his ways and his purposes. Where else would I go? Even though I don't see him now, I believe in him. And I'm filled with a joy and a peace. Because I'm receiving the goal of my faith, the salvation of my souls. Did you hear what Paul said? The goal of your faith is not a better marriage. The goal of your faith is not a comfortable life. The goal of your faith is the salvation of your souls and an eternity with an amazingly good creator who one day has promised to wipe away the tears. To turn all of this into a joy that you won't even compare with what's going on. And the Bible actually says when we get to the final state, you won't even remember all the stuff you went through here. Are you living for that? Or are you too busy watching the news every day and getting more and more discouraged? Well, we're going to look at what the Bible says about God's timing and the day of the Lord and when is it all going to happen and when is the Antichrist going to appear and how is it all going to play out? We're going to look at all that stuff in chapters Two and three, but for tonight, let me ask you this question. Can God brag on himself through you? Are you someone that has such a faith that when Satan and God might have a conversation about God's protection, Satan wanting to prove that people are phony, that God could say to Satan, go ahead. I'm going to get glory through you being allowed to do some things in their life. And every one of us says, don't pick me. (laughs) Our attitude should be that we're unworthy, but that any worthiness has come from him as a gift. In the three minutes we have left, I'm going to take two passages and put them together. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verses 12 through 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Look what Paul says here. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, Because he's judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says God chose the worst sinner to show his greatest mercy. On top of that, though, if Paul acted like he never was a sinner, Jesus wouldn't have gotten the full glory. And on the same thing, if you act like you're stronger than you really are, God won't get the glory. But if you're willing to be open and honest with your brothers and sisters and say, I need you to pray for me. I'm really struggling right now. I'm a little weary. I'm a little tired. I ain't going anywhere, but I've been tempted. And they pray for you. And then God does his work in us that he says he will when we humble ourselves and turn to him. And then all of a sudden they see you not only make it through, but come out stronger. Guess who gets the glory? But if you've acted like you haven't struggled, you weren't tempted, you weren't suffering, who gets the glory? Not God, but you. For the sake of time, I won't have you turn there, but in Luke 17, verses 7 through 10, Jesus makes an interesting statement. He says, when your servant comes in from the field, do you say to your servant, dress, I mean, so I have a seat, I'll dress myself to serve you. no. You tell your servant, dress yourself to serve me. And when the servant has taken care of you, do you thank the servant? And the servant's attitude should be, no, we're unworthy servants. We've only done what we were asked. Yet, in another passage, Jesus said that when we get to heaven, he's going to have us sit down and he's going to dress himself to serve us. We've got it backwards. We want him to serve us now. He said, no. When we get there, I'm going to serve you and you're going to be rewarded. Until then, your attitude should be, I'm not worthy. I've only done what he's asked me to do. But if I'm worthy, he's declared me and made me worthy. To him be the glory. I love you guys. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.